you know this is the sixth week of a series, and you've heard me talk about why we're doing this series. It's all about how can we live a different life. I've gone through lots of New Year's. I'm six months away from being 60. So I've been through a bunch of New Year's, and frankly, you know, there's a rhythm to life, and you think about, you think about the new beginning of a year, but unfortunately, many times, my, my best intentions have fallen by the wayside by mid-February. And so this year, you know, being sort of in like the third quarter of my game, I'm thinking to myself, I really want to change. I really do. I, I don't want this to be a year like any other year. And so that's why we've gone back to a particular talk that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago to have him coach us up on what it would be like to live the airborne life. And, you know, our symbol has been an airplane because an airplane was designed for a purpose. It, it can taxi. It can run on the ground like a car, but that's not what an airplane was designed to do. It was designed to fly. And to me, that's a metaphor of my life because really I'm doing, I'm sort of like taxing. I mean, it's not like there's no energy or thrust expended in my life. There is. But I'm really wondering if I've ever really experienced life the way I, I was intended to. So as I said, we've been exploring a talk that Jesus gave, and for good reason. Because when Jesus came to our earth, he brought this message in a way to say, this is what you've seen life be in the past, but life could be this. This talk is called the Sermon on the Mount, and in it, Jesus covers all kinds of topics. We've already been through the two talks on attitude that Jesus gave, you know, flying in clear weather and then flying in bad weather. Jesus gave us eight attitudes, four for good weather, four for bad weather flying. And then Jonathan talked to us about if you've got a relationship that's in the weeds, you know, dealing with that before you can go forward. And I talked to you about what Jesus said about anxiety and worry and how that holds so many of us back. But with all that being said, if you really want to know what the most important thing from Jesus' talk is about how to truly live a different kind of talk, we started it last week, and we're going to really get into it heavily today. Right in the middle of this talk, which, by the way, if you want to read it when you go home, because Jesus is going to cover topics we're not going to get to, it's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And remember... God didn't put those chapter numbers in there. They were added 1,100 years later so we could find our way around the Bible. So it's really just one talk, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But right in the middle of Jesus' talk in Matthew 6, Jesus really gives us what honestly would be the most important factor for us living the airborne life. Remember last week we said there are people that God just does extraordinary things for. And when you unpack their lives, you always get down to the same thing. They pray. So in the middle of this prayer, in the middle of this message, Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. He gave it privately to his disciples in the Gospel of Luke. But here in Matthew, he's giving it to a big crowd. He's saying, look, if you really want to live a different kind of life, just show up every morning and have a conversation with God. I like early morning flights. Call me crazy. I, I mean, I have one next Monday at like 530 I'll tell you what I love about early morning flights, especially when I'm coming home, I like early morning flights, is I love taking off when it's dark and seeing the sun come up. And for some reason, I, my, my thinking is very clear. So God is like coaching us to say, look, if you really want to live a truly different kind of life, then you got to come talk to me every morning. And he even coaches us up, and that's what we'll get into today. He even coaches us up on how to talk to him, how to pray. I do think that you and I have a couple of impediments to prayer, though, in living in the United States in 2016. One of those impediments is, um, in our Western world, um, we're pretty affluent. And so a lot of things that our brothers and sisters around the world 
pray for, we don't pray for. I mean, like, honestly, are you really praying about the food that you're going to eat today? I mean, it's like, if we want to know what we're going to eat, it's like, well, I'm going to go to Dylan's or go to Costco. I mean, I, I know where my food comes from. How many of us really pray, God, I'm really concerned about having food? Most of us are praying, God, would you help me not to eat too much? Help me diet. It's just because we can, we can get it for ourselves. I mean, if, for most minor ills that could have caused great problems for our ancestors, we just go to the pharmacy and pick it up ourselves off the counter. And if we have something we're more concerned about, we'll call and get an appointment with the, with the doctor. We'll be upset if we don't get in that particular day. If we're really sick, you know, we got health care coverage. So we'll go to the hospital and get taken care of. So all I'm saying is just a whole lot of stuff that our brothers and sisters around the world are concerned about. We're not concerned about. Why pray? I mean, for instance, you have brothers and sisters in house churches in China this weekend, and they have to be very careful about not being found out because if they get found out, they could be arrested. And we're not worried about that, gathering here at New Spring this week. You have brothers and sisters in Africa who are not really sure that they're going to be able to survive an epidemic. And if they do, they're not sure they're going to have enough food to eat. So they're actually praying about their daily bread. But we're not in that, in that world. We actually have brothers and sisters who are in, in countries where Islam is very powerful. And the very fact that they're a Christian could cause them to get their heads cut off. See, that's all I'm trying to say. We don't pray like they pray. You know, and that's the thing that I discover when I get around some of these believers, you know, who are in China and house churches or when they're from Africa and they're like they're suffering extreme deprivation or when I'm around believers who are in, 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 in radically Muslim countries, I discover that how they pray and how I pray is two very different things. The second impediment to our prayer is that we've grown up uh, sort of secularized. I have, you have. And, 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 and it's, getting more and more, it's getting more and more prolific. It's almost like go behind the walls of your church and you have your church thing, but as soon as you walk out, you're sort of in a secular world. I mean, from the second grade on in Texas, I was taught Darwinistic evolution. That's, I'm just product of cosmic rolls, random rolls of the cosmic dice. You know, I, I was, and here's the thing. Always remember this. Whoever gets to plant the flag on the subject of origins has the high ground. And Darwinistic evolution is just the theology of atheism. It always was that. It always is that. And that's just the way our culture is steeped. We're asked to believe the most preposterous thing by the most powerful forces in our culture. And then beyond that... We're taught a secular mindset. I've been taught it. You've been taught it. It's just that there's a natural explanation for things. There's no necessary. No necessary. One, one atheist said the other day that since there is an explanation for uh, the appearance of all things live, then there's no necessity for a supernatural explanation. And that's just the way that we're taught. And, and I don't know that I can shake all of that out of my hair, and I think we probably all have a little difficulty with it. And so because we're so affluent and because we have been uh, inculcated in a secularistic kind of culture, I think sometimes we have a little bit of a trouble, a little struggle praying, talking to God. I do think, though, if we knew two things, it would change us dramatically. And the first one is, I think if we had any idea of how much God loves us, it would change our praying. If we had any sense of how he feels about us. 
And the second thing is, if we had any sense of what he really can do. See, I think, and if I'm not careful, I will think that God is sort of a God that I've learned about through the secularistic prism. That, that basically, I'm limited by the natural order of things. And by the way, if there's anything more pathetic than listening to someone who doesn't believe in God explain away the supernatural, it's listening to them try to explain the natural. But in any event, I, I really think sometimes I struggle with prayer because I, I need to realize just how powerful God is. And in my life, from time to time, being as skeptical as I tend to be, I have seen some, some glimpses, some flashes of his power. Let me give you an example. If you've been at New Spring for several years, you may actually remember this. I remember in 2011, early 2011, spring of 11, I was preaching what I think is my second favorite series of all time, but then you know how I am about that. I was preaching a series called Red Letters. And in this series, I had attempted to figure out what were the eight most important things that Jesus said. Not that I knew. But I just looked at the things that Jesus said, started with 50, moved it down to 20, and then finally came up with eight, and then sort of had a, like an NFL channel countdown of, of, you know, the first to the last. I remember the first weekend, I thought I knew one of the most important things that Jesus would say was just the word come. Because religion tells people to go away, but Jesus was always telling people to come. I enjoyed that message. And then the, there was the week I talked about Jesus' statement, you have to be born again. And I thought, isn't it awesome that the one thing Jesus tells us we have to do is what we crave more than anything else, which is starting over. I think it was the third week. I wound up doing this talk about Jesus the healer. And I pulled one particular chapter out of the Bible where there are two females that are in the story, although they're seemingly unrelated. One is a 12-year-old girl who's dying, and the other is a woman who has been sick for 12 years. She's hemorrhaging blood. And she spent all of her money trying to get well, but she was getting worse, and she was dying. And you got to realize that her problem was not only that she was dying, but she had a social stigma as well, the way things were looked at. She couldn't even touch anybody in those days because of her, because of her hemorrhage, because she was bleeding. In any event, the woman, if you remember the story in the Bible, um, she said, if, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be well. And there was a reason for that because, see, one of the Old Testament prophets had said that when the Messiah would come, he would come with so much power there would be healing in his wings. And a lot of us who read that in English, we think healing in his wings. That's not, let, let me put it to you in modern days. It'd be like when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be so powerful there's going to be healing in the cuffs of his Levi's, the wings of his garment is what I was talking about. So that's why this woman said, if I can just touch the, you know, the, the hem of his Levi's, I will be healed. And she did. She managed to do it somehow. I hope that's kept on videotape. I'd like to see that. And so Jesus said, who touched me? And Peter's always trying to educate Jesus. He said, what do you mean who touched you? There's a big crowd here. Everybody's touching you. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me differently than everybody else. And just about the time that the woman was being, you know, found out and Jesus was telling her, get great faith, gal, and you can have what you want, a dad had come to Jesus and said, would you come heal my daughter? She's dying. She's 12 years old. Interestingly, she had been, if she was 12 years old, she, she was as old as the, woman, the woman's illness. But anyway, while all this stuff was going on with this woman, the, one of the, the servants of this rich guy came to him and said, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore. The girl is dead. She's dead. 
It's too late. And then, of course, you know, Jesus went and raised her back. Honestly, I got through preaching the message, and I started to walk out that door right over there. And I thought, I really don't even know what that sermon was about. I thought, I hope the audience knows what it's about, because I'm not sure I know what it was about. I mean, I just told a story about Jesus, and I thought, I really hope I understand that. Anyway, in those days, my office was over on this side, so I had to walk around the back of the worship center to get to my office. And when I got back there, Mary Alice was waiting on me. And she said, Mark, I know you're really exhausted, but I think you should go to the hospital. And she went on to tell me the story of a little girl in our church, 12 years old, interesting, who had been in a horrific accident. It was early spring, and I guess a farmer was burning his field, and a mom the mom had driven the little girl into, into a cloud of smoke on a country road. Unfortunately, a farmer had parked his flatbed truck in the middle of the road and was talking to someone else. And as she went into that smoke, the corner of the flatbed truck sliced through the cabin of the automobile and basically, very honestly, took off a section of the little girl's head. Um, the highway patrol said there was brain matter all over the car. We're just waiting for her to die. We're surprised that somehow her heart is still beating. So Morella said, Mark, I think it would be good. She's, she's dying. You need to get up to the hospital and minister to this family. And as long as I, I remember going upstairs in the um, in pediatric ICU at Wesley, where it was at that time, and going up there, and there she lay in the bed. And, and if you've ever looked at someone who was still got their, their heart's still beating, but they're basically lifeless. That's what I was looking at. I was looking at a little 12-year-old girl lying there on the bed with tubes coming in and out of her. And I still remember that we all stood around the, the bed, and I held hands with the family, and I prayed a very preacherly-sounding prayer. But I, I thought she wasn't going to live. Anyway, I left something in the room. And until I get to heaven, I won't know what it was, but I'm almost positive it's my glasses because I'm always leaving my glasses somewhere. I think I left my glasses in there. I started to walk down the hall, and I walked back into the room, and it was just me and a little girl. That was kind of odd because usually there are attendants there with someone who is that injured, but it was just me and a little girl. I don't even know why I do things. I reached down, and I grasped her left wrist in my hand, and I just said, Jesus, if you are who I just told those people you are, you could do something here. Now, they'll never put that prayer on our art, you know, wall artwork, right? I mean, they're never going to put that prayer on jewelry. Like, I mean, Jesus, if you are who I just told these people you are, you could do something here. I, I am not the hero of this story because I didn't think anything was going to happen. Well, the next morning I came to New Spring and found out she was still living. So I stood before you guys and I just said, would you just pray for this little girl? What I did not know, and I got this later a wonderful message from a lady in our church who I think had worked in the emergency room for like 20 years, and she sent me a message and said, you know, when you ask us to pray, she said, I was almost upset that you asked us to pray. I thought, why are you asking us to pray for her? Why, why isn't he asking her, us just to pray for the family? She said, in all my years, I'd never seen anyone come in that injured. She said, I was just hoping that the little girl would live long enough to be a donor. Well, anyway, she lived that day, lived the next day, lived the next day, and you know, the parents said to the doctor, you know, we think from time to time she's hearing us. And the doctor said, oh, no, don't, 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 start even, don't start down that road. 
And they said, yeah, we think every once in a while we touch her and she responds. And he said, no, 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 that, that's just automatic. It's just autonomic nervous system. He said, watch. He said, I'll pinch her and she'll flinch. And he pinched her and she said, ouch. <laughs> now, I can make this story a whole lot longer than I won't, but I'll just tell you this. They took her to Kansas City. A week after she was in the hospital in Kansas City, she walked out of the hospital, walked into the ambulance under her own power. And some of you will remember the weekend that she bounded up here on stage when I was in a series on prayer. The last I heard, she was a 4.0 student. I was just around too many medical professionals who shrug their shoulders at that and say, we have no idea to just tell you that we serve an awesome God. And, and here's the thing. I could be talking to somebody and you say, Mark, I don't believe in God. I believe it's a natural, naturalistic explanation for everything. Well, just knock yourself out. <laughs> no disrespect. I, I really mean that. I'm just saying, you know, I, I just read an op-ed piece from the New York Times yesterday where the article of a, a writer said, I'm sick and tired of God bless America. And I thought, whoa, not me. Not me. Anyway, let's talk about that for just a few moments. The God who loves you is inviting you to come talk to him. A God that's very powerful and a God who wants to help you. Now, last week, we looked at the first part of the Lord's Prayer, which is basically getting ourselves in position to talk to God. And now, Jesus is going to coach us up on the three requests. Let me tell you why this is priceless and maybe the most important time that we're going to spend together in this series. Those of us who are God followers. Jesus is both God and human at the same time. He's, in, in the time that he's teaching us, he's, for 33 years, he's God and skim. So consequently, nobody is ever going to know more about prayer than Jesus knows. And so he's going to coach us up and teach us. And, and, and as he teaches us, and we'll just work through this pretty quickly here, I notice that this is always a prayer about today. Jesus never coaches us to ask God about next week. It's always about today. Let's just get that in mind. Because our, our nature is we would like to come to God and say, God, let me talk to you about the next six weeks. Thank you. See you then. See you in six weeks. But, and I think there are two reasons why he wants us to talk to him about things today. Number one, every day is a new start with a new opportunity. But here's the big one. When you get up in the morning, you don't know what's going to happen that day. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 1, the Bible says, you do not know what a day will bring forth. Ladies, you got to love this. The Hebrew word there is for being pregnant. In other words, when you get up in the morning, the day's pregnant. You don't know what kind of baby the day is going to give birth to. It could be a beautiful baby. It could be Rosemary's baby. You just don't know. <laughs> Let's see if we have some baby boomers here. Um, you don't know what a day is going to give birth to. So Jesus is saying, if I were you, I would go talk to God because you're getting up in the morning and you don't know the day that you're going to face. You know, here's the thing. As I look back on my life, so many of the days that changed my life started off with an almost exaggerated sense of normalcy. And when I was 13 years old, I got hit in the left eye with a golf club. And since that time, I can't see very clearly out of my left eye. Now, that morning when I woke up, I didn't get a message that said, good morning, Mark. Enjoy looking at your left eye today because today will be the last day you're going to be able to see clearly out of your left eye. I didn't know. Three years later, I, I woke up to a very different kind of day. 
It was a very normal kind of day. The only thing I knew was going on was my school was having, hosting an invitational debate tournament that a lot of the schools in Texas were going to come and experience a debate tournament. I had no idea I was going to wind up judging debate rounds that night, and I was going to have a timekeeper named Mary Alice McDonald. I mean, I would have liked to have gotten a message from God that morning and said, good morning, Mark, you're going to meet the love of your life today. I'd dress nicer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely would talk better if I'd known that. You see what I'm saying? I'm just saying every morning when you get up, look at the day, it's a question mark. It could be the greatest It could be the greatest opportunity you've ever had. It could be a tragedy that redefines your life, or it could be one that comes disguised as another. We just don't know what we're going to face in the day. And God is saying, you need me. Let's talk. Let's have an early morning flight. Let's get together. Let's talk. Okay, with that in mind, I've got 13 minutes and 45 seconds, according to that clock there. Let's look at the three requests that Jesus coaches us to ask, and we'll explore each one of these, and I promise you, this may be the most important 13 minutes we spend together in this whole series. Here's the first one. Jesus coaches us to ask God, give us today our daily bread. Real quick, daily bread just means stuff you need today. That's just a metaphor for all the stuff I need. God is saying, give us today So I'm supposed to pray. Give us today what I need today. Now, you and I have been praying the Lord's Prayer for so long. Chances are we've we've missed the audacity of Jesus' prayer. I mean, you think about Jesus is coaching us to ask our Heavenly Father to give it to us. He doesn't coach us to say, loan us our daily bread and we'll pay it back. Or... Trade, this is religion. Trade us today our daily bread and we'll trade you something you want. Or he doesn't say, tell God, sell us today our daily bread and we'll pay you for it. But give us. Do you know what, you know what the point of that is? It's all about relationships. See, here's the deal. A lot of you ladies out there, you have a dad and And when you were a kid growing up, you didn't ask your dad to sell you stuff. It's your daddy. Daddy, would you give this to me? A lot of you guys had, see, here's the thing. I'm not into selling my kids things. Jonathan, (laughs) he's going on 35 years old. When he was a teenager, he was diagnosed with Osgood Slaughter's, which just means his knee makes too much bone. And it started to affect him last six weeks. He had to have surgery last Monday. The doctor took out a bone piece about the size of a ping pong ball. And so Mary Alice and I were over at the house, and Wendy was going to get medication, and Mary Alice was going to get food. So it's just Jonathan be sitting there. He had his ice machine on and all this. We were just talking. I was glad his mind was on anything other than his pain. And he started talking about shotguns. And, and, and I got a shotgun from when my dad passed away. My dad had a Belgium-made Browning automatic. And so Jonathan was saying, you know, Dad... You've got Grandpa's shotgun. He said, what are you going to do with your old Remington 1100? He said, any chance you would sell it to me? I said, Jonathan, if you want it, you can have it. See, I'm not into selling things to my kids, and neither is your heavenly father. But now listen to what God says about me. This is Matthew chapter 7. This is still part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Mark, I mean, my name's not there, but it might as well be. Some of you are looking, wow, Jesus. (laughs) If you then, though you are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God's not necessarily ripping me for being evil. He's just saying, look, Mark, you're a daddy that loves your kids, but compared to your heavenly father, you're evil. Now, if you being evil know how to give Remington 1100 to your kid, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to him to ask? So that's why Jesus said, look, ask him. Ask him. Go talk to him. You don't even know what you're going to need today, but he knows. So go have, a, go have an early morning flight with God and say, Father, would you give us, and especially if you're a family, and you, boy, you talk about if you, have, if you have a marriage or if you have kids, this is so big. Would you give us today what we need today? Like I said a few moments ago, there's nothing here about tomorrow. And it's not that God doesn't care about your future. He just expects you to come back tomorrow morning. <laughs> His conversation you're having with him tomorrow morning, it's like, well, I expect to see you tomorrow morning. There's a story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that I love a lot. When the Israelites are out in the wilderness, you know, when they left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, they're out in the middle of the desert. There are no pizza huts, Burger Kings, McDonald's, buffets. So God had to keep, he had to keep these people alive. And all of a sudden in the morning when they woke up, there was just like this white-looking stuff everybody, everywhere. They had no idea what it was called. I mean, the Bible says the Israelites called the food manna. It tasted like honey wafers. Not bad. By the way, you know what the word manna means? It means what is it? That's actually the Hebrew translation. They didn't know what it was. They said, well, let's go pick up some, go pick up some what is it. <laughs> now Moses told them, look at this, this is Exodus 16, 19. Moses said to them, nobody's to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with him. I think everybody was angry with him. See, some of the people said, we can't trust God, so we're just going to pick up an extra bucket of manna. And the next morning, every tent where they had picked up extra manna stunk because it had maggots in it. I'm not trying to be too cute by half, but is that God's way of telling us that trying to live more than one day at a time stinks? Maybe. Jesus is saying, look, just, just go talk to God about today. Well, God, I'm worried about six weeks from now. You don't even know what your life's going to be like in six weeks. Just go talk to God about what you need today. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm, I, you know, when you were talking about, you know, in the Western world, having everything I need, I really don't need to talk to God. I, I've got everything I need. Listen to me, please. The time is going to come when you're going to need something that nobody's money will buy. The time is going to come when you're going to have a problem that isn't covered by your HMO. The time is going to come when you need something fixed that there's no human being in the world can fix. You, you, do you know what I feel like I hear a lot of times in people's lives who come to talk to me? It's the emotional and spiritual screeching of breaks, that understanding that they've reached a place where they're in a situation where money can't fix what's wrong with them. And all is going to be there. And Jesus is saying, go talk. Go talk to your heavenly father. And ask him to give you what you need today. Now, if it was audacious on Jesus' part to tell me to ask for what I need today, ask him to give it to me, this next one blows my mind. Because you realize the very God 
whom I've offended by my sin, is coaching me to go to God and ask him to forgive us. Now think about that. I mean, we've prayed this so many times, I think sometimes we've, we, we've somehow gotten past just the understanding of the basic logic of it. Jesus is coaching us to go to God, the very God we've sinned, about, sinned against, and he's asking us, hey, don't forget to ask God to forgive us of all our sins. You know, the two kinds of people who run up bills. There's the kind of person that runs up a bill and never expects to pay. They're irresponsible. But there's also the kind of person who racks up bills and it keeps us awake at night. We're wondering how we're going to pay our bills. Jesus knew the first person would never pray in the first place. But he is concerned about all of you who sin against God and you worry about how you're going to deal with it. You worry about how you're going to make things right with God. And in some cases, if you've done something that's wrong, you may stop coming to church and may stop talking to God. And Jesus wants you to know, don't let that happen. Come to God every day with all of yesterday's screw-ups and say, would you forgive us our debts? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, I've been preaching since I was 16. One of the number one questions, or one of the primary questions I get asked is, what's the unpardonable sin? You want to know what it is? I, wouldn't, I didn't advertise that, but do you want to know what the unpardonable sin is? It's just a sin you won't ask pardon for. It's not unpardonable on God's end. It's unpardonable on your end, my end. Yeah, there was a sin in the Bible Jesus talked about, but it was contextualized in that particular situation. It's not even feasible today. <laughs> the only unpardonable sin is the sin that you refuse to go to God with. Because according to this, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. How's your English? From all, A, L, L, all. That means you can show up before your heavenly father and bring anything to him. And basically, here's the thing. When you come before God, what you're saying is, God, I've got a big debt racked up here. And here's what I'm asking. Talk about your audacious request. You're saying, God, I'm asking you to tear up all the invoices. By the way, Jesus coached us to do this. Oh, by the way, there's a condition. Somebody was I knew this was going to be a catch. Here's the weird thing about this. You know, we would expect that God would want us to do something for him. In other words, God was saying, look, Mark, bring all your sins and all your invoices, and yes, I will tear them up, but you got to do something for me. you got to go find the Holy Grail. you got to do community service. you got to join a particular church. Don't you find it interesting that the one condition that Jesus puts on here is not something that we do for God, but something we do for other people? Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we also, and this is the correct translation, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Later on, he would say, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive. I don't know about you. I can't afford that. You know, once somebody will tell me, Mark, I cannot forgive that person. You can't afford not to forgive that person. Real, real quickly, I do want you to understand the difference between forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness does not mean that you restore a predator to a place where you're vulnerable again. Restoration is different from forgiveness. Forgiveness just means you tear up the invoice and you leave that person to God. You're basically saying, you don't owe me anything anymore. 
there's a cool story here. I don't think I'm going to have time to tell it, so I'm just going to throw it to you real fast, okay? So if you're in the booth, I'm not sure I'll be able to give you scriptures. Jesus telling a story. What happened was Peter was saying, Lord, I've heard about this forgiveness thing. Uh, do I forgive my brother seven times? Peter thought it was really cool. Seven times. The rabbis taught three times. Peter thought, man, I'm really... What if I forgive somebody seven times? He didn't actually say he forgave somebody seven times. Just ask him. Just talking religion. And Jesus said, no. Not seven times, but seven times 70. That's 490 times. You forgive somebody 490 times, you quit counting a long time ago. So he launches into this story. He said there was a servant who worked for a king, and he wound up owing a lot of money. I, ca- I love calculating this, this amount. I calculated Wednesday with, with Wednesday's gold clause. He owed $14,460,160,000. How does a guy that makes minimum wage wind up owing $14 billion? I have no idea. But do you understand what Jesus is talking about here? He's saying that's how much we owe God. He just wants us to get a feel for it. A guy that makes minimum wage owing $14 billion. The guy went to the king and said, have pity on me. Give me time and I will pay everything. What a sad joke. He can't even keep up with the interest payments. Time is not on his side. And the Bible says the king had pity on him, and he forgave him everything. He walked in owing $14 billion, and he walked out owing nothing. That is what it's like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You walk in owing a debt you can't pay. You walk out free, adopted God's child. But you know what this guy did? After he had been forgiven $14 billion debt, he went out and found somebody, and I calculated this as liberally as I possibly could. The very most he could have possibly owed this man was $4,000. No, I'll hand it to you. $4,000 for most of us is big enough to get our attention. But this fellow worker owed him $4,000, and he went out and he said, pay me what you owe me. And the guy said, I'm sorry, I can't get, up, get it up to that. And so he, he grabbed him by the shoulders and had him thrown in jail. And according to Jesus, when the king heard, out, heard what he had done, he said, you hurt, this is w- interesting, the, the English says wicked. The Greek word means hurtful. Yeah. Isn't it strange that when we don't forgive people, we actually become hurtful? Have you heard the expression, hurting people hurt people? This is Jesus telling us that if there's somebody we can't forgive, we actually become toxic. Jesus said to this guy, you hurtful servant, I forgave you this debt, and you can't forgive your fellow man. So just saying, Jesus is saying, come with all your invoices. And if you've forgiven the people in your life, God said, I'll tear up all the invoices. That's beautiful. Can't find anything I love like that. One more, and I'll be through. In Matthew 6, verse 13, which is good because I'm 15 seconds into overtime. In Matthew 6, 13, here's the third ask. Jesus coached us to ask and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that first line, lead us not into temptation, it causes a lot of people to freak out. Does that mean that we're asking Jesus not to seduce us into sin? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we're asking him not to let us go through a time of testing? No, that's not what it means. If you want to know what it means, look at the night that Jesus' disciples um, weren't praying. And he, Jesus was about to be arrested. And he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. That's what Jesus is talking to us about. Every morning, we're to pray something like this. Lord, Satan is setting traps for me. Satan is laying landmines. 
Help me not to fall into a trap. Help me not to step on a landmine. And if I do, would you come and get me out of trouble? As I close this talk, it's real clear to me why Jesus told us to ask for these three things. Number one, I need things I don't have the resources to acquire. So I need to pray, give me this day my daily bread. Give us this day. I screw up a lot. I do a lot of things that are wrong, and I don't do a lot of things that are right. So I need to come to the Lord and say, would you tear up all my invoices? As far as I know, I've torn up every invoice of anybody who owes me anything. And because I get into trouble, I need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, would you just help me avoid any temptation pit out there today? And if I fall in one, would you come get me? That's the daily prayer. I picked a particular verse to end on. It's a favorite of mine. I really can't hardly ever look at this verse without getting emotional. Because the verse says this. My heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. No disrespect to our president, but he has never called me and said, Mark, would you come and talk to me? I don't think our governor has asked. If he did, I didn't follow up. (laughs) But the God of creation, my heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. And my heart says, Lord, I'm coming. Does your heart hear that today? Do you hear God saying, come and talk to me? And is there something in you that says, God, I'm coming to talk with you every morning. I need you every morning. And together, you and I are going to take an early morning flight. Your life will never be the same. Thank you for being here.